is the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name, the name above every name, and because of him, man, I got a testimony from death to life, and it's because of him, he's mighty to save, he conquered the grave, and because of that, man, he's worthy of our praise, and he's worthy of us living for him. Man, good songs, Addie. Let's just give Addie a hand clap of praise. She did so good. She did so good. You can go to, and it's going to be familiar and sound familiar, Ephesians. As we just finished Ephesians on our Sunday night uh, prayer meeting, something to choose on. And while you guys flip to Ephesians, or I guess maybe I should wait for you to get done because I got a question for you. I got a question. That question is, what is knowledge? What is knowledge? Got any brave souls who want to answer that question? What is knowledge? Anyone? Power? I heard knowledge, or some think it's power. Information one knows. Anything else? No? Well, we can stop there because Les got me the answer that knowledge is what we know, right? Knowledge is simply something we know, the know. Um, We really look or have three different senses of knowledge. One would be propositional knowledge. That is information and facts. We just know facts about something or someone, no information, right? I, I would say... There may be some in here, I don't know, the sports guru. There's people that you can ask who won the 1958 NBA World Championship, and they can tell you who won it. They can tell you who was the best player on both teams, who won the MVP, what color socks and shoes they were wearing. There's just some people that they they know all these little stats and facts, whether we call them weird or not, they can tell you everything uh, about those sports. That's propositional knowledge, to know information, to know facts about something or maybe someone. Then we have relational knowledge, acquaintance, if you will. That is, to know someone or to know something. That sports guru that knows all about Michael Jordan, his stats, how many points he had, how many championships he won, how many MVPs he won, all these different things. I can almost guarantee you, if they're sitting this, in this building, for sure, Uh, they don't have a relationship with Michael Jordan. They may know who he is, a lot of facts and information about him, but if you put Michael Jordan and that person right here in front of each other, Michael Jordan would say, who are you? They don't have a relationship. They don't have an acquaintance, a relational knowledge with uh, Michael Jordan. And then the third type or sense of knowledge that we have is the skill. That's the know-how, the ability to do something, the know-how to do something action, if you will, the knowledge of action. And as we go through Ephesians right here, we're going to be in chapter 4, verse 17 is where we're going to start. I believe Christianity takes all three of these types of knowledge. Propositional, you need to know facts and information about Jesus. Because Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God And we need to know who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. We need to know what Jesus done. He came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, 
rose again, ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back, and he did that for you and for me, and so that we could be forgiven our sins and spend eternity in heaven. And so we need to know that, but then we've got to understand knowing's not enough. We've got to have a relationship with him. We've got to have some relational knowledge. You've got to accept the gift of Jesus in your heart, put him in your heart, have a relationship with him, and grow that relationship. And then those two, that's what it takes to be saved, right? There's our salvation in those first two packages of knowledge. Know the facts and the information, the gospel, if you will. Know Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. And then three, there's some skills that we need to know to live out the Christian life on a regular basis and to grow as a Christian. There's some skills, there's some know-how. And I think they're all tucked away in Ephesians. Again, we just went through the series Uh, But I think chapters 1 through 3 give us a lot of information. Chapter 1 talks about the redemptive story and the redemption blood that we have in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 kind of talks about uh, we're saved. Jesus loved us so much and he desires a relationship with us so much, or God, excuse me, that he sent Jesus to the cross. And it says that kind of the the popular verse of chapter 2, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works which we have done, but what Jesus did for us on the cross, right? And so that's kind of the first two, and I think a lot of a lot of the first two senses or types of knowledge is in those first three, three chapters of Ephesians. A lot of information, the blessings uh, and benefits of being uh, a Christian, having our identity in Christ, and having a relationship with Christ, right? And then three or four through six is more of the skills, the exhortations or the encouragement to go and do these certain things since we do have our identity and we do have that relationship with Christ. And so we're going to be in chapter 4, verse 17. I'm going to read through 32, and then we're going to break down some simple know-hows to make the old man go and make the new man grow. And so I'm going to read... And then we'll get started. Verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of their blindness of heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, put away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I'm going to pray and we're going to study this out. Father, I love you. I just thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for these people that have come to just uh, hear from you and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would just use me as a tool. Father, hide me behind your cross and just speak through me tonight. I pray that each person would respond in a way that's pleasing to you and that we would all grow as we walk out of here and apply it to our lives and impact a lost and a dying world. In Jesus' name. So, Again, I said the first half of Ephesians kind of talks about the benefits and the blessings of our identity or that relationship, if you will, in Christ. Now he gets into exhorting or encouraging Christians to live out their responsibilities as Christians or as a person having that relationship or identity in Christ. So he starts, verse 17, is with a therefore. And we know if you've been at Exciting Southeast long enough, we stop and see what the therefore is there for. And it's tying what has been said already in chapter 4 to what is about to be said, what we just read, if you will. And pretty much that therefore is how to keep the peace and the unity in the body of Christ. Because that's pretty much what he's talking about through these first 16 verses. We're to walk in unity and peace together as the body. And he says when doing that, we each have spiritual... We kind of talked about some spiritual gifts... And each of us have one. And if we walk together in unity and peace, uh, we're doing it right. And so this, therefore, therefore, how to continue and to keep living in peace and unity together. And that's where I say, one, the old man's got to go. See, there those first 17 through 19 talk about you can't walk like you once walked. you got to put the old man away. The old man's got to go. You can't live your life after you've been saved like you're still lost. Too many Christians, or self-proclaimed Christians maybe, I don't. that's between them and God, come up here, they have their moment of salvation, and then they go on and they continue saying the things that they used to say, they continue doing the things that they used to do, and God doesn't call us to do that. And Paul tells us right here, that old man has got to go. You're not in that same blindness. You now know better, right? The Holy Spirit's there to tell us, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And hey, you're supposed to do this. And so we don't have that same blindness and ignorance that we once had when we were lost and living that way. And so the old man's got to go. But then those next four verses, he talks about this new man. He says, but you've not so learned Christ. If you've learned him and been taught to him as truth is in Jesus, you need to put off concerning the former conduct. That's the old man. You don't need to be living like you once lived, that lost person. But now you need to be renewed by the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, verse 23 sounds very like a very familiar verse. It says... And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And some of you may know Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Verse 2 specifically. And the youth has just went through Romans. And we actually, or well, we're going through Romans. But we just finished Romans chapter 12 Sunday, I believe. And it says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that sounds pretty similar 
to that right there. Don't put off the old man which is corrupt according to his deceitful lust and be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Well, this new man it has a new mind, a new life, and we're not to conform, but we're to be transformed, right? And as you know, the Yacht Club had a, a meetup been a couple weeks ago at our house and it was all the games board games card games all the different different games half of them I didn't know what they were never played them but as they was going through there and I kind of bounced around from this to that there was this game that when they first said it I thought I'm gonna be really good at this game it was called I Dissent I Dissent and I was like well what what's that game what's the point and they was like well it's basically an arguing game like oh I'm like all right I think I'll be good at this it's like a debating game. And so they get the game out. There's five or six of us there, and they're like, so what you're going to do is they're going to lay out a card, and it's going to have like a statement on it. And so this is one of them. It's not okay to drink milk after the due date or expiration date, whatever. Okay, so when they lay that card out there, you have, these, you have an agree and a disagree, and then you lay one of those out. Okay, so everyone lays one out, whether they agree or disagree whether you eat or, or yeah they, when it's past the expiration date you might as well be eating it whether you eat or drink this past expiration date milk and so after everyone lays out their deal this is where you debate there's one person who has like the judge card and so that judge goes around and you get to state your case well judge i disagree because that expiration date it has a pretty good idea when that milk's going to be bad. And if I drink it past that, I might get some chunks in my milk. Or I agree uh, that you can drink uh, milk past the expiration date because it'll last a little bit longer and usually you just smell it or check it or whatever. So I thought I would be good at this game because, one, I'm pretty firm in my opinions and beliefs and you can't change my mind very well. And two... I like to think that I argue pretty well, too. And so I can state my case pretty good. But the problem is, after everyone goes down and does whatever, stakes their case, you pull back up your agree or disagree card, and then everyone votes. And you have these different cards, and to be short, each card is worth, like, so many points. And you lay back down, like, your vote. And the thing is, I may have been good at arguing and I may be firm in my opinion, but that's not what wins the game. What wins the game is who can conform to each other's idea and be in the majority. What you really want to be at the end of the game is in the majority, or at the end of the vote is in the majority because you want to be where all the votes, so that's how you get points. And so people would agree and disagree, and then they would hear everyone's case and they'd think, well, I think, I think that Addie's going to conform and go over here and so I think so is I think so is less and so I'm going to go over here because I'll probably be in the majority well that's not very good for me because I wasn't changing my mind and so after getting whooped around in a couple games of that I really figured out I dissent is not a game for me but that spoke to me because the next Sunday we're on Romans 12 1 and 2 do not conform to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and how many times did someone agree or disagree with a whole group of people, but they was looking for some points. Maybe they were looking for some popularity. Maybe they were looking for some money or some fame, right? They were trying to win. And so they 
consented, they conformed to whatever the others, the majority, agreed with. And that's, the world is so opposite of what the Bible tells us to be. Man, there's so many things. Homosexuality, abortion, sex before marriage, right? Some of the just right in your face obvious ones that so many people, because the majority say, ah, it's okay, what's the big deal? We're just slowly conforming. We may not be doing it, but we're starting to okay it, right? And we're just slowly conforming and conforming. Well, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to put away that old stuff, the stuff we know is wrong, the stuff that Scripture clearly states we're not to conform, but we're to be transformed. And it's a daily, hourly, minutely process because it starts in our mind because you think so many times, so many thoughts per day. I had Marissa Google this the other day because I knew this was coming. And this is the perfect example of this statistic that she got me. How many thoughts do you think in a day? And she Googled it up, and I'm assuming maybe Wikipedia was the first one. I don't know. But she said 70,000. thought, okay, 70,000, that's a lot. I wasn't sure. I was thinking maybe twenty-five, thirty thousand. 30,000. Driving down the road. Wait, 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 wait. It's been like five minutes. I don't even know what she's saying. Wait, 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 wait about four. And she says, I found a different study that says 10,000. So here's what I've come to the conclusion. You have anywhere from 10,000 to 70,000 thoughts in a day. And it depends if you're an overthinker or not. I was told 70,000. Never thought about it one more time. Okay. Kept on driving, 70,000 thoughts a day. I'm a 10,000 thought per day thinker. Marissa, on the other hand, is an overthinker. She's seen 70,000, and it may have been Wikipedia or whatever it was, and she's thinking, no, that can't be right. And so she keeps looking, and so there's a bunch more thoughts, and she finds this other one that she thinks may be more statistically correct. And so when mine was one or two thoughts to get the, I had to think about asking her, and then when she told me, I think, hey, 70, that's a lot. I had maybe three to five thoughts, and she had 30 to 40 thoughts. And so that's where we get our big differential of 10,000 to 70,000, is there's some just don't really overthink things, and there's some that over... So I don't know which one you are, but somewhere between 10,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. Regardless, it's a lot, and if we're to be transformed by those thoughts, that means we need to be letting Jesus and the Spirit control those. Uh, We better be very careful. And so... and causing this old man to go and the new man to grow one we can't act like we're lost right but these practical applications are right here in these next seven verses 25 through 32 and so that's the title of the sermon we want the old man to go and the new man to grow and here's how we do it number one in these practical applications, or remember our knowledge, these simple skills, these know-hows, these actions to take on, we need to, one, stop lying. How many liars do we have in the room? All of us, probably, right? Uh, But we need to stop lying. I want to turn over to John 8.44. This scripture was uh, referred to incorrectly on Sunday he said John 6 44 I don't know if anyone else caught it I caught it because I knew what was coming uh, but John 8 44 says that old man that lost person he's a child of the devil here's what it says exactly John 8 44 <clears throat> says you are of your father the devil and the desires of the father you do what wait 
you are of the father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own resources he is a liar and a father of it so see that old man he was a liar he was a child of the devil and the devil was a liar a deceiver a cheater a stealer right and because you know the saying like father like son right like father like children we just didn't know no better we were also liars we say I don't lie. I never had a lying problem. It does, I'm sure you have at least once. Maybe that little white lie. Maybe it's a big. Maybe you're big time liar. I don't know. But it was just in us to lie and to cheat and to deceive because we're selfish. We were chasing after something we wanted. Maybe it was to. Maybe we just lied because we didn't want people to see who we really are. We lied maybe about our past, or we lied to try to cover our flaws. Maybe we lied to try to seek our own fame or fortune i don't know but we were liars because we were considered a father of the devil and he's the father or a child of the devil and he's the father of lies and so we just simply didn't know no better but now we're that new man right we're the new man and now we have a relationship with jesus and if we look in john chapter 8 just a few verses uh before that 844 where he talks about as as the old man, we were children of the devil. He says right here in verse 34 of John 8, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you that whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Verse 35 right here. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, no, excuse me, I went to the wrong place. I wanted to read 31. So let's back up a little further. John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word and you are disciples indeed, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so this old man, this old man was a child of the devil, and it knew lies, it knew deception, it knew cheat, it knew, hey, anything I got to do to get my way, to reach my selfish desires. And now this new man, our know-how, our skill that we need to apply is we got to understand the truth. The truth of God's word, right? We got to understand that Jesus, he's the way, the truth, the life. He is where we go to for our resources of information, of how to live our life. He's where we go to for our resources uh, for life, right? And when we are seeking him, we're seeking truth. And when we're abiding in him, we're abiding in truth. And he says, the truth will then set you free. And so we're free in Christ. We're free indeed. And so... He calls us to stop lying and start speaking the truth. Start speaking the truth, telling the truth. And again, we've went through it just here recently. You move on to Ephesians chapter 6, the whole armor of God. And what was one of the, one of the armors, pieces of armor? You put on the belt of truth. And we heard in that something to choose on is you need to have that belt on because one, it keeps you from falling apart. You think about the belt, it holds your pants up, it holds your shirt in, it just kind of holds everything together. Well, when we're lying, and when I think of falling apart, a liar, man, a person that just lies so much, they never know when, well, maybe I told Johnny this lie last time, and he comes and asks me something similar, and I don't even remember what I told him last time, and I just begin to fall apart, and Johnny says, well, now, remember last time you told me you, and this time you're telling... And so we begin to fall apart because we're so lost 
and crumbled in our lives that we don't even know what the truth is anymore, right? So it keeps us from falling apart. We're to speak the truth. We're to have uh, a, be abiding in the truth of Jesus, and he can keep our life from falling apart. But then it keeps us from falling down, right? Pants don't have a belt. Pants are too big. They're going to fall down, and then you're going to fall down. Or he used the armor because it is a piece of armor, right? They pulled up and tucked uh, their, their skirt or whatever you want to call it, their tunic into their belt to go to battle. And it kept them from falling down because they're not stepping and stumbling and falling all over it. And that's how when we speak the truth, when we are seeking Jesus and allowing the truth to, to be in our lives and to run, our lives and to rule and reign in our lives it'll keep us from falling apart it'll keep us from falling down but also when we're speaking the truth because remember jesus is the way the truth and the life when we're speaking the truth of jesus to people that we go to to the lost then we're not we're not causing them to fall down we're being that stepping stone rather than if we're going out and we're lying and we're going out and we're deceiving we're not just causing ourselves to fall down. We're being a stumbling block because we've got people watching us and they're saying, well, he claims to be a Christian and that's a lie. I've caught him right in the middle of a lie or I caught her right in the middle of a lie. And so then we become a stumbling block that not only could cause us to fall down and fall apart, but can cause other people to fall down and fall apart. And so we need to make sure that we are not lying, but instead abiding in the truth, speaking the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth and the truth will set us free. But number two, not only stop lying, but if you must be angry, do not sin. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So, I said, if you must be angry do not sin. That means, because I read this verse, and I thought, it doesn't say don't be angry. And how many knows, we got a lot of Christians in here, you guys get mad, frustrated, angry every now and then, right? Because we're, we're human. We're flesh, right? It's, st it's still going to get angry. It's going to get frustrated. People cause us to be irritated. It's just going to happen. But he doesn't say that you can't be angry. The old man got angry. The new man might get angry. But the difference is we're called as the new man. As this new man grows, a, a skill that we need to apply and add is when we get angry, we can't let it then result in sin. Because that old man, and I got a perfect story. I told on myself the other night when I was using this as an example, but I'm going to tell on someone else tonight. So that old man, man, they get mad, frustrated, blows up and they go do something or say something that then hurts someone else or maybe themselves right there's sin that comes forth and then it just causes chaos even worse and so i'm going to use mj right mj kind of has a temper really she kind of has a temper and she's got this bad habit of when she don't get her way or when she gets frustrated or angry she wants to bite she wants to bite. She does. That's like first reaction. I don't know what it is. It's like, I don't get my way. I'm finding something or someone. And so she has bit Marissa and Ronnie and Reba. She's bit me. She's bit, I mean, everyone's been bit because they've told her no. And she gets mad 
and she bite, and so that hurts someone. But I'll be doggone if the other day she didn't. I don't even remember exactly what we was doing. So we was going along. I think she wanted some candy or ice cream. I don't remember. She wanted something because we was, I think we was at Running Rebus. And she's asking for it, and we're telling her, no, you got to eat first. You got to eat first. And she start. you can see it. It's building up. Like, she's crying, kind of whiny at first, but you can just see it's about to turn into a full-blown temper tantrum. And here in a minute, she lets out a squeal, and it's like no one's close enough to bite. So here's what she does. And just latches a hold of her own arm. And then, because it hurt, she just begins to bawl and squall because she bit. I mean, she about brought blood on her own arm. And so <clears throat> that's what happens when we get angry, get frustrated with people. And because out of wrath, out of temper, we take action. Sometimes it hurts other people, right? She bit about everyone in the family at this point. Uh, she's bit someone, done something, some, right? We get mad, and sometimes it's not even action. Sometimes we say something just because we, when we're mad, we don't think before we speak, and we just pop something out, and then it hurts someone's feelings, someone that we love, someone that we care about. But then sometimes we get mad, and we do something stupid, and we just hurt ourselves, and same thing, it can be words or actions, but it comes back and, and it, it destroys or damages us. And so we got to be careful that when we do get angry, if we must get angry, if we must get frustrated, we don't pop off and do something dumb that ends up hurting someone else or hurting ourselves. But not only that, how many, so I raised, raised a hand, some that had tempers or anger problems, maybe, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. How many is that person that just bottles up their anger? They just, nope, I don't. I got a few hands go up. I don't necessarily get angry and pop off and, like, you feel my wrath, but I just bottle it up, bottle it up. Well, look at the second part of that verse, 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So that tells me you guys are also not doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Uh, so if you must get angry... You can't go out and hurt someone or hurt yourself. can't go out and sin, cause uh, even more harm. But you also can't just bottle it up because that's even worse. That ends up doing so much worse damage later on because maybe you just hold it till you just absolutely explode or you end up having uh, just the, the mind and the internal conflict within yourself because you're just bottling it up. So you know what that tells me? We can't act on it and sin, and we can't bottle it up. tells me we need to deal with it maturely and then get over it. Deal with it maturely, that's, that's half of our problem. We, wanna, we pop off out of immaturity and out of maybe arrogance and selfishness. Uh, but we're to, to deal with it in maturity and then get on. Go with it. Don't let it set and build bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. Don't let it set. Uh, and just steamed, you're supposed to go. Maybe it's a conversation you need to have with a person. Maybe it's something that you need to go do, an act of, of encouragement or an act of love and care towards someone. Because here's the deal. When we, when we get frustrated and angry and we act on it in sin, or if we get frustrated and we just bottle it up, verse 27, here's what happens when we do those two things that it says not to do. It says in verse 27, 
don't give place to the devil. But when we do do those, when we do get angry and sin, and when we do just bottle it up until it just causes us to explode, we give place for the devil. When I was studying this out, I found this quote: "says Irritation of the heart of a believer is an invitation for the devil to be on standby." See, when we rack up all that bitterness, all that envy, all that unforgiveness. The devil's just sitting there licking his chops. Oh, this is about to, they're about to blow up. But also, when we get mad and we automatically just pop off something that hurts someone's feelings or pop off something or do something or maybe pop someone, I don't know, uh, then the devil is sitting, oh, yeah, I'm about to get him, right? Because when we have dissension and when we have division, the thing is we don't even have to make the devil work. He just sits back and watches us do all the work for him. And so... If you must be angry, don't sin and don't bottle it in. Take care of it and get over it. Number three, verse 28, don't be a giver. Or excuse me, I read that wrong or said that wrong. Be a giver and not a taker. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. Man, you look at all these things that we're going to talk about tonight, and again, the world is so opposite. What's the world tell us? Man, take, take, take. Whatever you got to do to get to the top. It doesn't matter who you hurt. It doesn't matter who you take from. It doesn't matter what you take. Just find a way to make it to the top. I want to be the most famous. I want to be the, the most wealthiest. I want to be the best, the most popular, whatever you want to call it. The world is so opposite. And again, we go back to that old man who... His father, the devil, scriptures talk about what's he come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. And that was, that was us. We may not admit it, but our own selfish desires, we may not have went and actually stole something from someone, but our own selfish desires, maybe it was we stole some time. How many ever cut out of work early? Stole some time off that clock, still got paid. Again, we look at these, oh, I didn't go rob a bank. I didn't, that guy in Locust, anybody ever, did, Locust had a bank robbery. Never would have thought it. Anyway, but we don't, I think, we don't even fathom some of the things that we may not even consider stealing, that really we're taking maybe someone's time, maybe someone's money, maybe someone's things, right? And so we're so opposite because not only... Does the world say whatever it takes to get to the top, steal, deceive, cheat, lie, whatever. But also think of even since COVID, man, we're just teaching people not to work. Set at home, we'll send you, we'll send you a stimulus check. Set at home, we'll pay for your college. Whatever, right? Don't work, we'll take the money from the working man and we'll give it to you, right? And that's not what Scripture, scripture says you got to work if you want to eat. Scripture right here says that we need to labor, right? And so that old man, that selfish person, was looking for something that he wanted. He was stealing to meet a want. And we think of why people steal. Still, people steal because they're after something they want. Maybe it's an addiction. We think of that, like, hey, i got to steal some jewelry, some money, something, because i got to find the next bit of money to get that needle in my arm or to get that drink or right or maybe some people still out of desperation i'm at my wits end and i gotta have a little bit of money to 
try to help my family, still don't make it right. Uh, we think of why people steal, and it's because they have something they want. They're after, it's, self, it's out of selfishness. Well, this scripture says we're to be exactly the opposite of that. Don't take, rather give. So says, to him who stole, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him to him who is, has need. So not only are you not to steal, but you're also to look for opportunities to give. So you know, the world says, hey, just sit at home, we'll send you a check. Sit at home, we'll, we'll take the working man's money and give you something. Instead of stealing to meet a want, you're to work to provide a need. It says work, do something that's good. Go labor, earn your wages, earn your keep, provide for your family. And then, not only that, but we'll go past that, labor to work to provide for yourself and your family, but also labor and look for someone who has a need and then go meet the need. And again, I told you, in uh, the youth, we're going through Romans, and also in chapter 12, it talked about kind of meeting the needs of others, and it talked about two different ways, and I think this is how we can understand don't be a taker, but go be a giver. It talked about distributing to the needs, that's going out. Going out and finding needs and going out and meeting needs. And I think the church does a pretty good job of doing that. We go out and find people who need a need and we try to meet that need. We go out and serve in the community with rodeos and basketball tournaments and all kinds of different things. But it also talks about being hospitable. So not only going out and distributing to the needs, but when they come in, we're inviting, we're welcoming, we're caring. So we can meet needs out there and in here. And so we need to not be takers, but instead be givers. And again, that's not just taking of money, but we think of taking and giving either way. You need to give of your time. That may be serving the church. That may be serving someone out in your community. You need to give of your tithes, right? We're called to give of our tithes, 10%. And you need to give of your talents, that's your gift, God-given. You're called to use it and give it back to him for his glory and for your good. And so don't be a taker. Instead, be a giver. Number four, control your mouth. Verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So opposite of the world. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they can't hurt me. The scriptures, life and death, are in the power of the tongue. Again, these things are so opposite. These skills, these know-hows that we're supposed to have, the world is trying to teach you exactly the opposite. So don't conform. Instead, be transformed. The old man's got to go. The new man's got to grow. Our words, man, they can hurt people. Again, we talked about... When we get angry, not to speak out on them, because when you're mad, you usually say something that ends up hurting yourself or someone. Uh, but we need to understand just how cautious we should be with our tongue. And that's the story the king asked his chef. He had honorable guests coming in, and he went up to his chef and he said, Chef, I need the best, most respectable highly favoring dish that you can bring and he's telling the chef i got these guests coming in i want to honor them i want them to know that i love them that i care for them 
And dinner comes, puts the platter on the table, takes the lid off, and right there is a dish of tongue. They eat the tongue, goes on. Master's kind of thinking, what? wonder why, why, why tongue? Why did he pick tongue? And so doesn't really think much about it. He goes on. Well, the next week, he's got some enemies coming in. They're looking to sign a peace treaty, make a deal, try to get peace. But he goes up to his chef and he says, yeah, we're meeting, trying to make a peace deal. But they're still enemies and I don't like them. Chef, I want you to make the worst meal. I want you to make the most disrespectful, most worst, hateful dish that you can make. Someone that we would, I mean, just nothing. Dinner comes, platter gets to the table, lid gets pulled off, tongue. And at this point, last week I had this honorable guest, this highly favored, and he goes, huh, same meal. What in the world? Same meal. And so he's waiting for this dinner to get, yeah, whatever, get them out of here. Let's and he goes to his chef and he says, I had the best dish, the respectable, most honorable dish. It was tongue. And then this time, meeting with my enemies, I want the worst, disrespectable, dishonorable, and it's tongue. He says, why? Why tongue for both? And the chef just looked at him and said, because the tongue can be our best and the tongue can be our worst. And it's the same for us as Christians. Depending on what we use this for, what we use our mouth for, what we use our tongue for, it can be the very best thing we have as Christians. We talked about it tonight. It can encourage and it can exhort our, our brothers and sisters to do better, to grow, uh, to go and tell. It can go to the lost and tell them about Jesus. It can speak truth to them. Or it can be used to lie and deceive and to hurt people and to backstab and to do so many bad things. So our tongue can be used for the best and our tongue can be used for the worst. And we must choose by the renewing of our mind, by the transforming of our heart and mind, we must choose to let our mouth be the best thing about us, to use words of love and care. Which leads me to my last point. Number five, be kind, caring, and forgiving. I'm going to read verse 31 and 32 first. It says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with, with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So the verse 31 pretty much talked about kind of what we've just talked about, put away with all these things. What, was, what we've been saying, the old man's got to go. Now the new man, you're to be kind, to be caring, and to be forgiving. Why are we to be, to, to be forgiving? Because we need to understand we've been forgiven. As Christians, as saved people, we ought to understand better than anyone forgiveness because there was a time when we were lost and dead in our sins and trespasses and Jesus, because of how gracious and loving he is and caring and kind and tenderhearted he is, he forgive us, took those, flung them as far as the east is from the west and we were forgiven and we didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it haven't deserved it and earned it since then, and yet he still did it. And so we should know and be forgiving because we've been forgiven. But then on the kind and caring, and I've said it before, it's a common statement. People won't 
care how much you know until they know how much you care. I'll say it again. People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are about your career, your, your work. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are even about the Bible. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are about computers or whatever. People are not going to care until they know that you care about them. You want to love on them. And I always go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for this. And I, I'm, I'm more just going to paraphrase. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about, man, I can, I can serve, I can preach, I can do all these things. It goes through and lists a whole list of things. I can serve, I can preach, I can be uh, filled with wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures and of the doctrines of God and all these different things. But if I have no love in doing those things, it's worth nothing. Because why? Because people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We are here to love people, to go out and reach people and just love on them because they're going through tough things and people in here are going through tough things and we want people to know that just like Jesus loves and cares for them, we love and we care for them. And that goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13, if you're doing those things and have no love, not only does it mean nothing, but then it talks about how powerful love is. Man, love, again, I'm paraphrasing it, forgets no, uh, or love forgets or remembers no wrong. Love abstains from evil, all these different things. But then at the very end, it says love never fails. When people know that we love them and we care for them, then we can be encouraged that, that hey, we got a good chance of success because we're reaching out out of true love and out of true uh, care, and they see it, and they know it. They feel Jesus. They're probably going to come to Jesus. And so when we reach out in love and we're doing stuff out of love, we can see uh, the result, and the result can be good. We look at Jesus as our greatest example, again, just by what he did for us on the cross and how he forgived us, we should know and feel loved and cared for by that. But then scriptures like he came not to be served but to serve, right? He stooped to the lowest. He went to the people that no one else would love. He went to the people that no one else would go to. And he loved on them, cared for them, served them. But then what about the guy that wrote this letter? Again, I believe in Corinthians, he writes, I became all things to all people that some might be saved. Right? He said, for the Jew, I became Jew. For the Gentile, I became Gentile. For the weak, I became weak. He just went to people, met them right where they were, Paul, and said, hey, I'm here with you. I'm going to sympathize. I'm going to empathize. I'm going to be there. I'm going to love on you, and I'm going to show you Jesus right in the midst of it. And that's what we should do. We should find people, and we should meet them right where they're at. And whatever we have to become, whatever we got to put on, we should be all things to all people so that Maybe not all, but some, maybe just one, might be saved. And so we got to be kind, caring, and forgiving. Now, I know a lot of us, I think, will know the song, but Del Way writes a song called The Old Man is Dead. And Addie, you can come up and start uh, getting ready for a song of invitation. I'm going to read that lyrics of this song because I think it fits, right? We're trying tonight to learn practical application to make the old man go 
and this new man to grow by doing some simple know-hows, by adding some simple skills to our life. Right, it says, now and then, an old friend of mine that I've never seen, or that I've not seen for some time, will stop by and ask me where I've been, what's on my mind. They wonder why I'm not drinking and still painting this old town red. I tell them I'm serving Jesus now, and the old man is dead. You see, the man you see before you may look a lot the same. I may wear the same clothes and have the same old name. But you, you're looking on the outside. If you could see inside instead, you would see a brand new man because the old man is dead. I used to live such a wicked life. I had no peace inside. I was lost in darkness and searching for light. Does that sound like those first few scriptures? He was blinded, ignorant in their own blindness and darkness. I had no peace. I was lost in darkness, searching for light. Then one night at a little church, after hearing what the preacher said, I gave my life to Jesus, and that old man, he's dead. So, sounds pretty similar to what was said tonight. I don't know if you're here tonight, and maybe you're still living that old man, because you haven't had the new man. You haven't experienced a relationship with Jesus. Well, you can tonight, and I would love to show you how. Or maybe you're here, and maybe... You've been saved, the new man's there, but hasn't done much to grow. You're still living like the old man. Maybe you need to come to these altars and just ask Jesus to forgive you and help you as you move forward to live as the new man in Christ. Not conforming, but being transformed daily by the power of the Spirit in our mind and in our heart. If we would stand, I'm going to pray. Altars are open. Father, I come to you. I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it brings truth. I pray that it would challenge us tonight as Christians. And Lord, I pray most importantly, if there's someone here that's never accepted you as their Lord and their Savior, that they would do so before they leave. I love you. I thank you. Move how you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.